Welcome to You Hear Big Girls Attack on Titan podcast. I'm Raikou, and I'll be filling in for Mom Taku and Luna this month. I'm joined by two mods of the SNK subreddit, Arachan, who's a first-time guest, and Alu Ola, who has been on a couple times before, and I'm going to refer to Al for the rest of the podcast. Do you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves? Um, hi, I'm Erechan. Since calling me Ere might be a bit confusing considering we're talking about Attack on Titan. You're free to call me Ellie, if that's easier. I've been a fan of Attack on Titan since the anime first aired in 2013. And I was really impatient and started reading the manga before the female Titan arc began in the anime. So, yeah. Hi, uh, you can call me Al because it's easier to say. Um, I've been a fan since about 2014, where I saw a parody of it on YouTube and then just got really curious from there and basically devoured everything that was available to me at that point. The first chapter I ever read live was the Shit Machine one, which made me think I'd dreamt it for the next few days. Yeah, that's a good first impression of the series, probably. Great chapter to start on. Oh, absolutely. I mean, once you've seen that image, you just know what you're in for. And you just hope it doesn't get worse, right? Oh, it got worse. So the title of this chapter was to you 2,000 years ago, which is kind of a nice little contrast to the very first chapter of this manga, to you 2,000 years from now. Ellie, what was your impression of the chapter? I was actually super happy that we got Imi's backstory. I know that it's something that everyone like wanted, and we kind of all predicted that we would eventually see it. But um, I personally feel that it was told in like a really beautiful way because it wasn't actually told in the usual sort of dialogue information dump that we normally get. So a lot of the information that was presented to us needed to be interpreted. And of course, that wild ending with Nightmare Fuel, Centipede, Eren and the beginnings of the rumbling, it was just an amazing chapter, in my opinion. What would you rate it out of five? Out of five? I don't know. I, I would rate it maybe like pretty high up, 4.5-ish maybe, because I, I, I just really enjoyed getting Emi's backstory finally. And it was as dark and depressing as I expected it to be, as a lot of the um, characters' backstories tend to be. And also just, yeah, now we're back in the present and a lot of, things seem to be about to go down so i'm excited for that what about you al solid five out of five for me i loved this chapter more than i've loved any chapter over the last year i'd say not only for the mysteries answered but for the historical influences which i'm a big fan i love the look of the eldian tribes i love the look of ancient marley everything from start to finish was just a joy for me I'm kind of in the same boat, and I mean, I can't really remember the last chapter I didn't give a 5 out of 5, so I take that with a grain of salt, I guess, that I loved this chapter, but I love all the chapters, so. <laughs> Did you like how we got the information for um, Emi? Like, it wasn't exactly clear, 100% clear-cut. It was more sort of in interpreted. I, I actually loved it. I mean, we've heard Amir's story how many times now? Like three or four different times from three or four different points of view. Some saying she's a god, some saying she's a devil, like a warmonger, like something used to destroy civilizations and wipe out cultures. But I think this is probably the most trustworthy source of information we've ever had on Amir Fritz because it seems very much like it's her story. Like she's telling it from her point of view what actually happened. 
Yeah, exactly. And I really enjoyed that as well because it felt more like it was going on in her mind. Um, and so we didn't get a lot of that sort of dialogue. It was just a lot of imagery of what was happening to her. Well, we didn't really get any dialogue for her. And a lot of people theorize that that's because she had her tongue cut out. Yeah. Oh, I meant, sorry, dialogue in general. But yeah, so I thought as well that her tongue might have been cut out because how they showed how all the slaves, when they were being brought in, they had their tongues cut out. But yeah, we didn't see that happen to her, but I sort of assumed it happened to her because she did not speak at all through um, the entirety of it. That, that raises the question, did she get her tongue back after she got her powers? But she still never spoke. Yeah, I, I wondered about that too. I did not wonder about that. Now I'm wondering about it and it's going to make me crazy. So, Yeah, I wondered about it and I was like, have we had an example of a titan shifter who lost like a body part and grew it back after becoming a titan? Grisha. Grisha had his fingers. Yeah, his fingers, of course. How did I forget that? We never see her talk after she becomes a titan though either. So Yeah. Even after she became a Titan, she doesn't say a single thing. I think that might be, might be something to do with what she perceives her role to be. Even after she gets all these goddess powers, um, she's still content. Not, I don't know about content, but she still wishes to be a slave. And yeah. she had her tongue ripped out originally, so in her mind, her king doesn't want her to speak, so she still doesn't speak even after it grows back. Mm, and that really goes into the whole idea of her having like a slave mentality which i think we're going to touch on later right it sort of reflects the whole idea of the ladylike or good person sort of thing that was one of the things that kind of confused me honestly is after she got these powers she went right back to the life she had before getting them and continued to serve the same masters that had hunted her down and tried to kill her yeah exactly um she, yeah, didn't use her powers against him, but rather used it for him to help his tribe, um, Eldia, to really flourish, which was confusing. And then if you connect it with how Emir says at the very start in that flashback to Historia, you know, what does ladylike mean? And she sort of says that Emir, Fritz was ladylike. Um, but, yeah, I'm not. I'm not 100% sure what makes that the case. Um, is it just because she's very um, gentle and kind or overly so? Is that what sort of made her um, be a sort of figure in which Frida sort of encourages Historia to be like her? It almost seems like she has no will of her own, even after acquiring the Titan. Like, she's very subdued. She knows no other existence but being a slave. So that's what she went back to being. And, I mean, we know the world was a much different place 2,000 years ago. Um, so maybe it was just the only option she saw available to her. Like, she didn't really feel a drive to fight for her own freedom or anything. It's a sort of form of Stockholm Syndrome, I suppose. If you don't know any better, you don't know any different. It's, it's the kind of only love and value you've got in your life you wanted to continue. And this might be why she just lets herself die in the end because she finally does realize that he doesn't care about her. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of tragic. And I mean, 
the poll results for this month kind of reflect that uh, 84% of people who took the poll already, they said that she had the saddest backstory of everyone so far, <laughs> even beating out Reiner, who's like the king of suffering. <laughs> There's more than enough suffering to go around. Yeah, definitely. I think um, also because we've we just sort of saw her story um, in this recent chapter. Um, definitely super, super tragic. Um, but I don't think we could belittle the tragedy of the other characters' stories, as they are also incredibly tra- tragic in their own way. Um, but I think rather than like getting hung up on who has it, who has had it worse, I sort of prefer to appreciate like the complexity of like human reaction and the coping mechanisms in the face of deep trauma. I mean, you kind of see it sadly within me. She sort of uh, allows herself to continue to be passive and use her power to assist the Eldian tribe. Um, but yeah, so I sort of just find it fascinating in that sort of a way, but definitely a very, very sad story. And it's kind of scarily reminds me, like I, as I read it again, I thought how it reminds me of Historia, who stated after killing Rod Rice, um, she said that she's always the one who kind of goes with the flow. And Emi is exactly like that in her backstory. She allows the flow to carry her away. And she doesn't resist in any way, which is really tragic. Yeah, even when she's being chased through the woods before acquiring her Titan, mm. she, like she just looks very defeated and like she's about to give up. She looks down at the flower and then she gets up again and sees the tree. It was very much like she was, I don't think she was trying to survive at that point, but then she saw the tree and just figured she would walk inside. Yeah. And surprise. <laughs> surprise. <laughs> Speaking of surprises, that Titan, oh my goodness. I was not expecting it to look so so horrific for the progenitor titan. It certainly looked cool, but yes, horrific. Yes, actually, that's that's what I thought as well. Really cool, but terrifying. Like no face, rib cage that just spreads out unnaturally. It's it was a really freaky titan, and the fandom kind of seems to be divided on what is the most standout, you know, trait about that titan. You know, is it? the rib sticking out is it the fact that it's super ugly or the fact that it's giant or the fact that it has a skull for a face i think there's a enough body horror to go around in this case <laughs> is it what you guys expected did you expect kind of like the image of the perfect one that we'd seen earlier just kind of like the perfect womanly looking titan we'd seen or <laughs> that romanticized version yeah I honestly thought it would be more of the romanticized version that we saw, but I guess not. <laughs> I didn't expect to see it at all, so when I saw it, it was just kind of more of a shock than anything else. I, I hadn't thought to compare it to any anything. I didn't think we'd see it either, but I was also surprised, you know, by the fact that Emir was a slave versus what we'd been previously led to believe. So when we see the mm-hmm. Titan, it's like, okay, it makes sense that it's uglier because the story itself is kind of uglier than what we thought. So about her death, we finally kind of get some answers about how one Titan potentially became three and three became nine, which, I mean, that's something I've been wondering about forever. Like, how did the split happen? How did we go from one Titan to nine? And it seems like Amir, she let herself die, as you pointed out earlier, Ellie, and that after her quote-unquote death, 
she was consumed by her three daughters at the orders of King Fritz. You know, I had like this sliver of hope when she got speared that King Fritz would have like a tiny ounce of care. (laughs) Nope. Yeah, that was uh, clearly dashed to pieces. He was such an awful guy. Um, And yeah, like Al said, it looked like she lost like the will to live because she didn't instantly die from that shot. But sorry, just random as well. Um, Did you see how like um, uh, King Fritz's crown, he has the Eldian style on it? I did not see that. I did not either. I didn't notice that. I noticed the devil horns, of course, but I, I didn't to take note of the star. Oh, wow, you're right. Yep. Yeah. I just found it fascinating, like, the continuation of um, symbols and stuff. So, And also, like, in regards to her death, I saw, like, a lot of people sort of compare um, the scene where he's looming over her and saying, um, you know, what are you doing? Rise. Like, a lot of people were comparing it to Eren um, last chapter. Uh, last chapter when he was looming of his father and demanding him to stand um, after asking him what he was doing. I found that actually really interesting because I hadn't really thought about that comparison, but I did have the exact same feeling reading both of those scenes, just absolute horror and sadness. I'm not not 100% sure how I could explain it in words, but yeah, both of those scenes have the same sort of feeling in them. And uh, another random interesting thing that I saw as well is um, the flower. When she closes her eyes, like she gives up living, um, the flower has nine petals on it. I don't know what the significance of that is. It just seems like it's all to do with the continuation of symbology and stuff like that. Um, But I found, yeah, I like seeing little um, things like that. You know, I'm glad you pointed that out because someone, I think on Reddit or Tumblr, also pointed out that the the page where Zeke is dying and he's going into the past. Yeah. It's actually a very similar page where we see the yeah. panels just gradually get smaller and focus on this flower. Yeah, it's a similar shot. I like this whole like reuse of imagery that Isayama uses to sort of really um, present different scenes, but sort of similar feelings from them i think i'm not sure what it means that the pages with amir fritz dying and zeke dying and going to the paths realm where they both go there i'm not sure if it means anything or what it's supposed to tell us it might mean something i have no idea but i think it's really cool it's not some parallel yeah i uh, i'm in the same boat i suppose i think the flowers are a really useful imagery to tie concepts together though because people remember them. Mm. Yeah. Another thing that I noticed is when um, the attacker who raises the spear against King Fritz, as soon as he does that, you see this look of fear on Amir's face, like she actually cares what's about to happen. And that, that's really not the reaction I would expect at all. So I was just so shocked. And then when she threw herself in front of the spear, it, it really seemed like she was trying to save him after that reaction. She probably loved him. It's... You can't explain things like this. I mean, I've read accounts of people being tortured by the Spanish Inquisition um, back in the day, being absurdly grateful to their torturers for stopping the pain and sometimes even expressing themselves in terms similar to what we might deem love. It's really bizarre what happens to a person's mind 
in such unpleasant circumstances. It gives me the heebie-jeebies, honestly. Yeah, but it's it's true because when you, like you said earlier, when you're sort of used to that, that's all you kind of expect in that sort of relationship and you can misunderstand it as being loved or cared for. It's just sad. I mean, you could make certain, I don't want to lower the mood or anything, but you could certainly draw parallels to domestic violence accounts of why partners stay with abusive partners and it's just all so horrible to contemplate but it's certainly a similar sort of mindset i would say and perhaps we can find some comfort in the fact that there was some love in her life it seems like at least with her three daughters who very visibly were frightened for her when she's lying there dying and you could see the hurt in their eyes like she at least had something yeah yeah i mean you have to you have to take what you can in in such circumstances but even so, I just, I, we just all feel so sorry for her. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't lessen the tragedy of it, yeah. When she's lying there, uh, King Fritz tells her to rise, that no spear can kill her. So what do you guys think for, you know, why it actually did? Like, do you think she gave up on living or just wanted to die, wanted it to end? I think she definitely did give up on living, personally. Just because we know that the will to live drives um, the ability to uh, regenerate, essentially, so in the speed at which they do so. Yeah, I personally think she gave up when she looks up and realizes, nope, he does not care. And also the words that he says, like, that is why you have been born, cocking back to the whole idea of, um, um, like, being special in the world. Is because you've been you've been born into the world and stuff like that. But here you have him, King Fritz, taking that sort of a line that's sort of been reiterated throughout the series, and sort of just brings it down in sort of a dark way. Um, she's been born to be a slave and work, and essentially nothing else. I think you can make very clear comparisons with that line and how it's used. I mean, King Fritz uses it uh, as a disparaging line, but someone. Carla uses it as the biggest compliment she can give her baby Aaron. So depending on where you're standing at the time, that line is either going to be the thing that tears your heart out or the thing that gives you hope. Yeah, definitely. And it is kind of heartbreaking that those are likely the last words she ever heard while she lived. That is why you've mm -hmm. been born, Emir, my slave. Yeah. Happy stuff. Okay. Woo. <laughs> So then we get to the part where she's being eaten by her daughters, which raises some big questions for me, because up until this point, we were led to believe that someone who held a titan needed to be alive while being consumed to pass on their power. Mm. And this is obviously a very different circumstances where, like, Amir is literally chopped up on a table while her daughters eat, what was the word, words he used, uh, every last scrap of her body. Every last scrap. Yum. <laughs> Yeah, it's an unusual one, that, isn't it? It it, it makes the, uh, the the statement that it the power will pass on to a random Eldian baby a bit shaky, to be honest. It does, and we've never actually seen that happen. No, and I doubt we will. It might not even be true. There's just so much wrong that doesn't quite tally at the moment. I mean, this chapter was good. I loved it, but it it also reminded me strongly of the way the A Song of Ice and Fire books are written. 
in that once you get a point of view of a character chapter, you know that is the truth as they see it. And this is what we got this chapter. It was the truth as Emir saw it. And even like as he's talking to his daughters, as you know, he's lying down on his own deathbed, it looks like he's telling them to give birth and multiply. And if you die, have my grandchildren eat your spines, and which is another like <laughs> after you're dead, have my grandchildren eat you. So I'm wondering when it when it came into practice for Titan Shifters to be eaten while alive and why that happened, because, I mean, that's a pretty big contrast. Probably a few impatient sons and daughters who just wanted the power. I don't know. I sort of wonder if, because she's the origin of all the powers, it didn't pass on. I don't know. This is just maybe me just, you know, <laughs> just making stuff up. But um, I wonder if it's like, because she's the origin of the power, so it didn't pass on to anyone. And then they ate it. And then perhaps through history, that's when they realized that the power just passed on to random babies if they didn't pass it on within the 13 years. And then you have to wonder where that 13 years came from. Like we know Amir died 13 years after acquiring her Titan, but it mm. wasn't due to any curse, obviously. And we don't know why the curse kind of came to be if it does exist in the way we think it does. Honestly, I'm left with more questions than answers about the curse now. So I'm just, yeah, <laughs> my head is spinning. Mine too. And you don't know what's, genuinely intended to be a, a a discrepancy that's there on purpose and one that might just be a slight mistake or just something Isayama-san didn't consider. I mean, going back a few months ago to Eren's pants and how they're suddenly miraculously fixed and he's got shoes on again, we know that's just an art discrepancy now, but at the time it seemed like it might have been something more significant. I for one did not find any significance in it, but yeah, I I saw I thought of it like um Shadis when he didn't have his beard, um, it, um when the chapter first came out the a uh, bystander chapter, um I thought it was just an art error, just like that. Oh yeah, and a lot of people did. I think the sub the sub was pretty divided on the topic, as I recall. <laughs> ah, I remember that too. Yes. Did he decide to shave? What? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Who is this new character? With the curse, though, like, one thing I've always kind of wondered is, you know, if the curse doesn't function the way we think it does, like, oh, after 13 years, every shifter will die, then it could be used as a method of, like, controlling people who do currently hold titans. Like, if you know you're going to die in 13 years, you're a lot more likely to just kind of let death take you and let the powers that be transfer your titan however they want. Yeah, that could be like that but at the same time we do like we do see an aging sort of occurring for those who are close to the end of this supposed curse like we had um uri and um erin kruger was not in very good shape as well um towards the end of that 13 years and so i just wonder <laughs> yeah it's confusing me as well like you could there's definitely a toll that it takes on the body so mm. yeah i'm i have no idea what to expect with this curse how it actually works but i hope we find out <laughs> the thing the thing with erin kruger is how often would he have gotten a chance to actually use his titan form and the toll it takes on his body should be lesser than say the toll, toll it would have taken on yuri 
it's uh, it's an unusual one. I, I I honestly don't don't understand it at all. Even Yuri didn't really use it that often. I assume being in his position, like I know we saw him use it with Kenny that one time, but we didn't see him use it in any other instance, did we? No, and maybe and maybe the use of the powers refers to the general healing process as well. Maybe that counts. But uh, also, isn't Zeke fairly near the end of his time, and he he looks fine. So, yeah, Zeke looks fine to if me. There is a kind of aging effect. It must be in the last couple of months, the very last month or so, maybe. Mm. I got the impression that Kenny and Yuri met a little sooner than the last couple months of his life, though. Maybe I'm wrong in that, but like based on their bond, I felt like they knew each other longer than a few months. Oh yeah, I, I, I'd I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing matches. I don't understand. There's nothing to go on. No consistency. And it's all going to make sense in a few months, I'm sure, and we're going to hate it, or love it, one of the two, or both. Maybe it's our Aaron going back in time and, like, feeding them poison or something. <sighs> Wait a second. Do it, Yuri. Eat this junk food. <laughs> I definitely think they did meet, like, like long before he got really old, because um, Kenny looked young. And then um, before Yuri died, Kenny actually started to have some lines on his face, so he was aging as well. So You're totally right, yep. I, was, I assume it was definitely long before um, his time was up. So maybe Yuri just looked like crap from the beginning. Too much sun exposure or something. <laughs> so we also got our first glimpses at the original Nine Titans. Oh, God. And what their forms looked like, you know, the first time they ever walked the earth. And so a lot of people really, really liked the jaw titan, the cart titan, and the female titan's designs. Uh, people weren't so hot on the Warhammer titan. Surely people were memeing about the Warhammer titan being offended over its hair. Personally, I'm a little bit concerned about the cart titan's original form resembling a horse. Just because the character who we most see referencing, you know, being referenced to a horse is Jean. So I'm really hoping this isn't foreshadowing that Peek's about to meet an unfortunate end and be eaten by Jean, who will become the next cart titan. That's like stuff of nightmares, and I don't ever want that to happen. I thought the female titan looked pretty cool, too. But yeah, the Warhammer titan in general, even without the hair being a factor, it was pretty freaky looking, just the face and uh, yeah, yeah I don't like it. It's interesting how the female Titan just looks the same as she always did. Just longer hair. She got a blowout beforehand. I do like the school face on Jaw Titan, I must admit. I think that looks really cool. You like it? Mm, yes. Yeah, it does look really cool. I find that Attack Titan looks really weird. <laughs> like it's got an armored jaw, yeah. almost. It looks a little bit like Hannibal Lecter or something. I actually didn't look too intensely at the designs when I was looking at this page, because I just, when, when I first read it, I mean, I just felt, like, horrified <laughs> um, because of the things that um, King Fritz was saying. So I think I, I was a little bit distracted from their designs. Yeah, it's really not a happy double spread, is it? No, yeah, definitely not. 
you just have these really ominous sort of words over like these ty- the title designs and yeah it also really sad because Emir was used all of her life and then here she is also being used to the very end like even in death and beyond so I actually um, felt a little bit cold towards these titans like the nine titans because I was just like wow I don't really feel inspired to root for these guys these like monstrous beings um, whose succession just persists merely because of the desire for power and to rule over all the land so yeah that I, I, I don't know that was my general feeling for that whole page one thing that really stood out to me on this page is the fact that I think it's implied that all nine titans, at least at first, were Fritz's. Mm. So, and that that kind of reminded me of what Willie Tiber said when he was giving a speech at the festival about like the endless cycle of betrayal between the families that held the nine titans. And it got me thinking, what if those nine families were all branches of the royal family originally, like as those titans were held and passed down? That has some pretty interesting implications, I think. Mm-hmm, definitely. They probably all would have been branches of the royal family at first, but like you said, the endless cycles of betrayal, um, you've pr- you'd probably get a few prominent noble families occasionally managing to take a titan off these branches of the royal family. Sort of maybe in sort of civil wars or minor civil wars, that kind of thing. In my head, I kind of wonder if the reason that pretty much every Titan right now, besides the Warhammer Titan, the Attack Titan, and the Founding Titan, are pretty much slaves. You know, like the Armored Titan, the Beast, the Colossal, Jaw, Female, Cart. They're all kind of enslaved right now at the mercy of Marley. And we don't really know how that came to be, how Marley got their hands on them. But that makes me think since the Warhammer's kind of in charge of Marley, maybe the Warhammer had something to do with betraying those other families, those other branches of the royal family. Well, I think, doesn't Willie actually say that um, his family um, have a prominent position in in Marley society because they betrayed the other, other families? Yes. So that makes me think maybe a deal was cut back when this whole war was happening. Like, hey, we'll get these other titans into your hands if we can keep our titan and, you know, stay on the sidelines and pull the strings of Marley behind behind the scenes. So does this mean that the Tibers are Fritz's? That's my tinfoil, that's all. <laughs> I, would say, I would say they are. They, they at least have some Fritz blood. Yeah, I think that's what everyone was sort of wondering about on Reddit, whether everyone was everyone essentially had a little bit of royal blood in them. And I mean, even the Fritzes on Paradise, they went by a different name. So maybe mm. a similar practice was adopted by the Tiber family. I had assumed that they changed their name in order to go undercover as a noble family. The last name Fritz probably wouldn't fly too well in Marley, I don't think. Yeah. Sorry, I can get a little crazy with my tinfoil sometimes. Oh, no, I love it. It's great to be able to throw back and forth different weird theories because you never know what Isayama just sort of ends up with. Well, then I suppose the next topic is Aaron and Zeke. Oof. Sounds like you have some thoughts. (laughs) 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 
I think everyone have, has lots of thoughts going on, particularly in the sub. Is it weird that I'm getting a lot of gratification from seeing Zeke so distressed and panicking? <laughs> it is kind of satisfying, not going to yeah. lie. I don't even hate Zeke, but I love watching him squirm like this. I, I, I hate <laughs> him. He's a great character, but I hate him, if that makes sense. And I'm just so happy to see him so unhappy. Why do you hate him? Because he's a cruel bastard. <laughs> he's killing people all the time. So did Aaron Kruger, though. I, I, I have no... Yeah, I have no fondness for Aaron Kruger either. I think they're both very the ends justify the means kinds of people. And mm. I, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty convinced that Kruger could have easily saved um, what was Grisha's sister's name again? Sorry, Faye. Faye, yes, that's. I'm pretty certain he could have saved her life. He knew what Gross would do to her. He let that happen so he could start to mold Grisha into his instruments. But what if Aaron was whispering in Kruger's ear to let Aaron Kruger take or let Faye go with Gross? Uh, huh. hmm. Let me put the tinfoil on too. <laughs> if that happens, I might, I might have some serious crisis of faith in Aaron, who at the moment I'm still 100% behind. He's still 100% behind him? Interesting. Why is that? Um, I think, I'm not going to pretend there's any high-minded reason for it, but I think you just sort of develop emotional attachments to certain people and you want to see the best for them. Hmm. So what do you think he meant when he said he's going to put an end to this world? I think he meant it in a more, in a more poetic way. I don't think he's going to actually rumble the world. I think there's some other reason he set all these titans free. I'm with you there. I don't think he literally means destroying the physical world. I think he might be referring to the paths dimension. The world where titans rule. The world where, you know... This mythical, supernatural kind of being exists. I think he wants to end that. Well, I think <laughs> I think I'm the odd one out here because I I personally think that um, like just looking at how sincere Aaron seems to be with um, speaking to Emir here um, when he tells her, uh, "You're not you're not a god. You're not a devil." Well, you're no slave, you're no god, you're just a person. Um, I find, I think personally that he's being very sincere there. And um, then he's saying, you don't need to serve anyone, you can be the one to choose or whatever. I think because he's being so sincere there, I also think that he's being sincere in his desire to destroy the world. And I don't think he's being poetic about it because I don't see Aaron as a character who would be poetic about his sort of desire in uh, what he wishes to sort of achieve. It sort of personally reminds me of um, way, way back when Shinkan Shina first fell and uh, he's declaring on the boat that he's going to destroy all of the titans. Um, that's sort of what it cause to mind when I'm looking at him declaring that he's going to destroy the world. Um, yeah. I, think, I think there's kind of an interesting contrast. Like in chapter 112, he makes a comment that we all probably remember with horror 
that there's nothing he hates more than slaves or cattle. And at that point in the story, we hadn't actually seen a, like a literal slave. Like there was no one in the story that was a literal slave. But then we meet Amir, mm-hmm. who is that? And he says mm-hmm. something similar. And he's like, you're not a slave. You don't need yeah. to serve anyone. You can be the one to choose. Yeah. And I never really I, thought he literally meant he hated slaves. I thought, I think he hates, you know, systems of enslavement or the people that do the enslaving. Mm, yeah, definitely. I agree. I think he's just always been the advocate for freedom. And so that's why I believe he's also being sincere to Emi about her having a choice. Um, but yeah, this, this also, these words that he says, um, for some reason, they reminded me of um, Historia when she um, sort of is freeing Eren from underneath the, um, in the, you know, the rice cave. Um, when she's freeing him, she says, you know, I can't be a good girl and I don't want to be a god. Um, and it's like he's telling these exact words sort of to Emir from like his, her descendant. Um, sorry, that was a random thought of mine. No, it's cool though. You could make the argument that what he said to Mikasa in 112 is, is, is the, his own way of doing what he did with Emir in this chapter. I mean, maybe he had to do it in that cruel way so that Mikasa would choose off her own back as he saw it. I mean, if he put his arms around Mikasa and said, you, you're free to choose, you can stay with me or you can go, we all know what she would choose. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the way he mm. said it in one twelve to her, it might be, the, as he sees it, the only genuine way to get her to choose for herself. I mean... Yes. I knew the the scarf had to come off as soon as the the whole concept of slavery came up, but whatever she decides now, in his mind, is going to be his own is is going to be her own uh, choice. And there was definitely some like some serious kind of hatred in his voice when he said that to her, but I never really saw that hatred as being directed towards her as much as towards the circumstances that led to what happened with her kind of acrobonding to him. Like, I feel like he's more mad at himself than he is at her because that happened. Exactly. I would, I would agree a hundred percent with that. That um, calls to mind also like last chapter when he was looking back at him wrapping the scarf around Mikasa and his expression was, quite sort of sad looking at that. So I wonder if that also connects to with what you guys are saying. That was exactly what I thought while reading it. I was like, oh, mm. he looks so sad and heartbroken seeing the scene again, like knowing what it means and knowing what happened. I think Isayama is, is a master at throwing in these little crumbs of hope amongst the piles of, of sadness. <laughs> so yes, that, that was <clears throat> nice. I liked that. You need... You can't just shovel despair onto your readers constantly. There needs to be these little little glimmering shards of hope, and I think he's very good at that. Yes, but my biggest question is, is he going to give us the hope at the very end, or is he really just going to let it all crumble on top of our heads? Well, it won't matter at that point, because his story will be done, and he's got our money. <laughs> It'll be over. <laughs> Like, I've got your money, it's too late it now, to you've read it all. <laughs> Takes it to the bank. <laughs> I have your tears. <laughs> and honestly, that's one of my favorite scenes. Like, I know it's been shown to us, like, several times already, the whole Aaron wrapping his scarf around Mikasa. But it's just, 
it's it's kind of adorable. It's heartwarming. And even though now there's more like implications to it, I still like seeing it. Yes, I love it. I know you love it. Everyone knows I love it. It's not a secret. <laughs> I think everyone it's knows. It's not a secret. It never has been. <laughs> but yeah, if if he breaks all our hearts at the end of the manga, that's that's what he will uh, he will write his his new works with. He will he will collect the the tears of the readers and mix them with his ink. That's yep. what the new manga will be about. Yep. Will be used. How I successfully betrayed my readers. <laughs> his goal from the very beginning was to hurt us. So. Yeah. Well, he did say that in like several interviews that he's always wondered, do I go with the path of betraying my readers or, <laughs> or not? <laughs> and so that's why I kind of, I think that's what sort of pushes my thoughts towards, I think Eren is going to literally rumble the world. Um, but I also think that because of like 112, um, where he desperately sort of pushes his two closest friends away. Um, and so, like, I get what you uh, you guys say about how um, perhaps he saw that as the only way for Mikasa to detach herself from him. But why? Why was he trying to force her to detach herself? And why, like, beat up Armin and say those horrible things to him as well? Um, I sort of saw it as him wanting to push them away. And I feel like this could be... A big driver for that sort of reason. You could have made the argument that he wanted to do it because he doesn't expect to live. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's I turned. Uh, he's sort of pitted the whole world against him um, with the attack at Mali. Uh, it just goes on to the pile of unanswered questions. We really, I really appreciated and loved this historical flashback, but we really need an Aaron flashback and what's going on in his mind. What did Yelena say to him? My hope is that this next volume will give us some of that. Is this the end of the volume? Uh, 122 was the last chapter of the volume, I believe. Oh, gosh, what a cliffhanger for people reading from yep. volumes. It would be quite funny if the next, the, the next entire volume was just flashbacks of Eren, just as the rumbling start. Yeah. I wouldn't mind. I mean, with what's happening in the present day, I don't think we're going to have that much time covered from now until the end. But there's a lot of material and flashbacks that we can go back to to explain what's going on as it's happening. Yes, I, I would like it. Actually, I'll go out out there and and say it. I want to know what's going on with Historia. Mm. I want to know what's going on in Aaron's head. I want to know what Yelena said to him the night of the the party after they finished the railroad. Also, all these things really. I need them answered. Don't we all? Definitely, especially with Historia. We just get this depressing shot. Of her sitting on a porch, pregnant, just, <laughs> please, Isayama, tell us what's happening. The only explanation we've gotten for that is, like, from the point of view of people who we can't really expect to have a good idea of what's going on. <laughs> oh, exactly. The unreliable narrator, definitely a good use of it there. Yep. A whole ton of ship wars. Ship wars. Yeah, that's always entertaining to watch. I mean... It's funny, just last night I was still moderating comments on eight-month-old th threads about Historia's baby and who the father is. <laughs> this is insane. Jeez. Only eight oh, months God. hasn't she been pregnant for 15? <laughs> That's true, actually. Yeah, haven't we been suffering for 15 months? <laughs> Longest pregnancy ever. Oh, gosh. 
poor girl. I know. So I gotta say, when uh, when Zeke's running up towards Aaron, like, and Amir and saying, "What are you saying? What are you doing? What do you mean you're gonna destroy the world?" And then he's like, mentions his lo- his royal blood, and he's like, "Why don't you listen to me? I have royal blood." It was really, really cringe because it's like we just saw this backstory for Amir where she's basically subjugated by King Fritz and forced to do everything that she did. So it it had a different, it was interpreted very differently when Zeke's screaming about his royal blood and how she needs to listen to him because of that than it would have been like one chapter ago where we didn't know this. And I think that definitely, uh, as a reader, it sort of um, skews our... (laughs) The way we look at Zeke, because um, you definitely cringe, because it just looks eerily reminiscent of the earlier panel of King Fritz demanding Emir to stand up and work. So, um, yeah, I think no one else besides Aaron at this moment is aware of Emir's past. So, yeah. It's just massive cringe that he did that because, of course, she's not going to listen to you. (laughs) She's going to give this chance to Erin, who seems to genuinely show her some care, um, which she definitely lacked from the backstory that we um, saw. That's a really good point, actually. Zeke is behaving almost exactly like King Mm -hmm. Fritz. He just sees her as a tool and nothing more. Yeah, and sadly, he doesn't even realise that um, doesn't even realise Emir's past. But yeah, I mean, you can see that he's clearly reacting in a panic to Eren's declaration to destroy the world. But it's a very poor knee-jerk reaction to that. Um, and it just sort of nails, it sort of puts the nail in the coffin for what Emir's, who Emir's going to listen to in that situation. Especially when Aaron takes on such a like a compassionate look in his eyes as he's telling mm. her, you must have been waiting all this time for 2,000 years for someone. And this is actually the first time we see her eyes, which I think is significant because they've always been kind of, you know, shaded out in every panel we've seen her until this page where she opens them and is crying in Aaron's arms. Exactly. I think that's, that's a very common anime and manga trope to hide the eyes if someone's upset, depressed, sad, you know, crying. Or up to something. <laughs> yeah, that's true as well. I didn't really see her as sad or depressed. I saw her as more like empty, kind of like a shell. Like she knows she's mm-hmm. not a real person and she doesn't, like she isn't allowed to have feelings. She's just a tool. That's all she's been for 2,000 years. And Aaron's mm-hmm. telling her she's not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's actually what I thought as well. Do you think it's significant? Uh, I believe she stopped and stared at the kissing couple. In the start of the manga, just for a moment. Oh yeah, that that was a really awkwardly drawn kiss. <laughs> so you can tell that <laughs> romance isn't Isayama <laughs> isn't isn't his uh, his preferred uh, topic. Strong <laughs> like, point. <laughs> but it, it looks like a really awkward, just pushing our face together sort of kiss. <laughs> when the leaks dropped, that was one of the pages that dropped first, and I thought maybe that the people kissing would have more significance to the story but they ended up not that i know of i think she wants i think it's just symbolic of that she wants to be loved she she's just a a young lonely girl who wants love and that's why she let the pigs out as well did you think she let the pigs out not that it really matters i didn't think she did no no i think she probably did 
otherwise it would have been weird that they all pointed to her all at once. But I could be wrong. I think she didn't. I don't know, because I think of it's a continuation of that theme, because you just heard that she is someone loved by all, because she's kind and always thinking of others. And so I feel like it sort of builds off of the idea that if she didn't actually, that the pig's free, um, but she allowed them to accuse her of this um, thing and did nothing about it. It's sort of that continuation of the idea of uh, her being a very, very kind person to her own detriment. I saw her as kind of accepting the blame only out of fear. Like, I don't think she did it, but I think that they all pointed to her because she was maybe the only child and just kind of let the blame fall on her because she didn't really have the courage to stand up and say, no, it wasn't me. I think there's other children in there, like from the big panel shot of them all pointing at her. But yeah, it's just interesting that they chose her of all people. She didn't seem all that surprised that they all pointed at her, which which made me think that she had done it but i suppose it could equally mean that she's used to being blamed for all this constantly anything that goes wrong yeah that's what i thought while we're on the topic of the pig um i thought it was really funny because with the poll this month we had a question who is the who is the one who's most responsible for starting this story and i mean this is a line (laughs) we've we've had used on grisha twice now aaron kruger and aaron yeager both said this to grisha at some point like you're the one who started the story but mm. almost half of poll respondents, like the biggest, uh, the most common answer we got so far was the pig. The pig is the one who started the story, whereas only 3% said Grisha is the one who started it. So it just gave me a really good laugh. Some good memes. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's probably my favorite meme to come out of this chapter. So. Speaking of letting things out. <laughs> oh, yes. Speaking of letting things out. Speaking of letting things out, all right, so Emir Fritz opens her eyes with Aaron's arms wrapped around her, and she's crying, and then we go back to the present time, and we see Centipede Aaron, which is nightmare fuel all on its own, but then the walls start to crack. And that's a really big moment for the story, because the walls are like a constant. They've been there from the beginning. A lot of people thought they'd be there till the end, and here they are, cracking and crumbling, and peaks falling, everyone's kind of confused. It looks like we might have a rumbling. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I hope no one was on top of the walls at the time. Well, Peak was, and Mikasa and Armin. Yeah, they were. Well, yeah, they'll be alright, though, but I mean just like someone going for a walk. And Fuck as well, from the looks of it. Peak might be in trouble, honestly. Like, I think falling from that height, even in Titan form, would be pretty painful. And Magath's with her, isn't he? I yeah. believe so. He might be in trouble. Yes, too. that'll be quite funny. Yeah, you can see their reaction to the walls uh, crumbling. So I'm assuming they're on top of it. I like Magath, so I'm I'm hoping he's going to be okay. But so, do you guys think there's going to be a full rumbling or a partial rumbling or no rumbling at all? I think full. I think all the walls are coming down. It's late in the story. Uh, this kind of needs to happen. Yeah, I I definitely think it's also uh, a full rumbling. Um, and also, <laughs> uh, 
um, it sort of also brings to mind um, Berserk Aaron that we, I don't know um, if I can speak for everyone, but I remember at the time really hating Berserk Aaron in the anime because um, I did not believe for a second that Aaron would ever want to destroy the entire world as he had no reason to in that moment. But I feel like that was a massive anime only sort of foreshadowing of um, this sort of rumbling moment and also of Eren's words to Ymir as well, that he wanted to, that he was going to destroy the entire world. Um, so, yeah, we're not 100% clear on his motives still, but I don't know, he looked pretty angry when he said he was going to destroy the world, so. I kind of... Uh, disagree, actually, and I. There's only a very small portion of people that agree with me. We asked this question on the poll, and I think eight percent of the people have the same answer I did, which is I don't think there's going to be any rumbling at all. Um, and that's because just Aaron said he wants to destroy this world, and I think it's the path's dimension. I think he wants to end the Titans, not necessarily the world around them. Oh, I, I agree with you. But by, by by rumbling, I, I mean. I mean, all the walls are going to come down and all the titans are going to come out. I just don't think they're going to be used to destroy the world. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much where I'm at. Because if, if he's going to end the titans, then it makes sense that the wall titans, which were at one point people, would revert back to their people forms because titans are no longer a thing. And for that to happen, the walls would have to come down. Yeah, so so you suppose, so you guys suppose that abruptly is actually just the... Um, coming out of the walls and then turning back into humans? Yeah, like almost as like a sort of disarmament, like because that's kind of the whole reason that the world hates Eldians and is scared of them because they've got this huge threat of all these hundreds of thousands of wall titans, I think Willie said. And I mean, that's a threat to the world, kind of like a nuclear weapon in our times. Like the world fears them mm -hmm. for this, but if they no longer have this, then the world you know, continuing to oppress Eldians is just oppressing another form of human that doesn't have anything special about them. I think this is Isayama's way of betraying the readers. He didn't say which readers he was going to betray. I think those that are looking forward to seeing the rumbling are going to be disappointed. I agree. I don't know what purpose a rumbling would serve right now. Like, Marley is the only country that's attacking Paradise right now. The world has not yet united their armies and has not yet come to the island. So a rumbling right now, a small-scale one, doesn't really serve that much of a purpose. Like, it's not even the whole Marleyan military. It's just a few airships that drop down some guys and the Titans, which, if Aaron's doing what I think he is, the Titans wouldn't be an issue anyway. And when you think about it, if you, if you leave the Titans out of the equation, Marley is getting really quite handily beaten. They're not doing as well as they thought they might. I mean, most of the panels seem to show Malian troops being basically taken apart. I think we discussed this the other day. It's Paradis, Paradis, however you want to say it. They have a lot of natural defenses. It's not easy to invade an island. It's, it's, and you saw this in the Second World War with, with the UK. The Nazis couldn't do it. They would never have been able to do it. Australia, the Japanese would never have been able to do it. Uh, it's just, you, it's really, it's one of the most difficult things you can do militarily. It's just next to impossible half the time. Um, and yet, isn't like one of the massive defenses their walls, which Aaron has just taken down anyway? I mean, I, I don't agree with, um, like, it 
just being a rumbling where the Titans turn back to humans, I personally think it's going to be an actual rumbling. Um, the landscape of Paradise also works to their advantage too. Reiner, I think in, uh, I forget which chapter it was when he's talking about strategy with the Marleyan officers. He talks about how there's mm-hmm. mountain ranges to the north and how that's why, you know, Titans are usually expected to come from the south and that's where most of their uh, defenses are located is on the south sides of the wall. I just personally think it's going to be an actual rumbling. Sorry, just to go back to the rumbling. Um, just because I think um, that Isayama is a person who will follow through on like um, story threads. So he's had Aaron intentionally attack Mali when the whole world was watching and had the Tiber family um, win the allegiance of the entire world. And, and the world has agreed to um, sort of build their armies up and bring them up against Paradis uh, with Marley leading the charge. And so I think that for Eren to have done that and for there to be no rumbling afterwards, I think there's no justification for him having done that, having attacked so many different people in the world at Marley at that stage um, and also killing the innocent people in Marley as well. I feel like him not rumbling and not following through on having the world pitted against them and also him pushing all of his friends away rather than being open to them about what his plans were i feel that goes against him having sort of a calm sort of ending where he just changes the titans back to into humans unless he really does plan to remove um the you know, the source of defense that they could have with the Titan rumbling um, by removing um, their abilities to be Titans, because that's what um, everyone had been intending to use as a protective measure for them. And so I think that's personally why I think there is going to be a rumbling, because he has sort of put the world against them. I don't know whether they can convince... um, the world for peace in an easy way after what was done at Liberia. I think that Eren basically turning into Doctor Who and being able to time travel and speak to people has has thrown the doors of, of theory making wide open now and all bets are off. I really can't even begin to claim with any certainty what he might do from this point forward. It's just, it's oh, just I'm leaning towards that he won't rumble the world because just based on him as a person, I don't think he's changed that much. Yep. Yeah, I definitely have, like, I still have a um, a bit of hope in Eren because I love Eren, but I also love this sort of anti-hero sort of um, personality he has now. He has, yeah, so I kind of feel as though from all the things that he has done, it kind of feels like it's accumulating to a point where he is going to genuinely rumble the world. I agree with Al. Like, it just seems so against what Aaron believes in because he was innocent when Reiner, Bertolt, and Annie, you know, breached Walmaria and they basically caused the death of his mother. And he had his freedom stripped from him. He felt like what little freedom he had at the time. And... I don't think he'd want to do that to other innocents. Like it just doesn't, it seems very anti-Aaron to me, even if it did gain him his own freedom, I don't think he would destroy the world to 
secure that for the Eldians. I feel like I don't agree with that. Just from what Aaron said in chapter 121, where he specifically says that if someone takes my uh, tries to take my freedom from me, I will take theirs. And so I feel that kind of contradicts it um, in that sense. Because I feel as though if Aaron truly feels as though their freedom will be taken away um, as the, um, due to just them being Eldians, I feel as though he would be driven to that sort of extent. I mean, we saw him at Mali. He did blow up an entire building of um, innocent people um, by transforming. This is, uh, this is the hard part, isn't it? Eren is such a contradiction at the moment. You could go either way. Mm. I think this has done a lot to make, uh, to make the discourse in the in the in the sub very civil because you can uh, there's there's no clear evidence one way or the other so either you have faith in Aaron as a person or you're just viewing his actions now in stark contradiction to that and choosing which one possibly you'd prefer or just which one you feel more likely and there's no wrong answer at the moment. Mm. Mm. I, yeah, I personally hope that Aaron is still loving and, well, or as still as innocent as we remember him from before um, and hoping that he doesn't plan to destroy the world. But at the same time, it would make for a thrilling read to watch him destroy the world. I think it can go both ways. Like I was just thinking of what what you remi- what you just said reminded me of chapter one hundred when he's talking to Reiner and he's like, "Why did that have to happen to innocent people? I didn't understand." And then a few pages later, he's like, "I get it now. Like I understand." So maybe uh, I I, sh- I think I've changed my mind while recording this podcast. I don't know what Aaron plans to do. Oh my head! I think that's the exciting part. I just love how complex Aaron has become post time skip. I think. It helps that we don't actually, we're not actually able to get into his mind to know what he's thinking. And I think um, that's uh, part of the excitement is no one knows if he's really going to destroy everything or it's just him being um, poetic in a sense. So, yeah. Uh, Hopefully we'll find out in the next volume. We won't. Spoiler, (laughs) we won't. No, there's a Shekhov's gun. It's got a fire. It has to fire. We won't find out. <laughs> Not till next year. <laughs> the Titans are awake now. <laughs> On the plus side, if he is reverting all Titans to their human forms, there is a very good chance that Connie will get his mom back. Uh, yeah. Because I'm assuming they left her alive. It's not like she was hurting anybody. It would be a good opportunity for research and all that. Uh, yeah. Good for Connie in that case. Silver lining? Assuming Connie lives? Speaking of which, (laughs) one of the questions we asked on our poll actually was, who do we think is going to die very soon? (laughs) Um, And the top responses were Magath is probably going to die soon and Peak and Flock. So those are the top three. Uh, 30% do think Connie is going to die soon, though. So that would be a little bit sad if, you know, Mrs. Springer got brought back and Connie's gone. Don't give Isayama ideas. (laughs) And if he needs ideas. Are there any characters you think are goners, like in the immediate future? Not necessarily the next chapter, but in in the coming volume, I'd say. 
No, the the poll seems sensible to me. Oh, uh, Louise, I think Louise is going to die. Oh, I hope not. For Mikasa's sake, more than anything, I think she'd feel so. I think she'd feel responsible if she was the reason that Louise enlisted and then ended up dead. I don't think Mikasa has much to say or think about Louise at the moment, to be honest. Um, but I think Louise took that scarf, and I, I, <laughs> of course I'm just thinking did. that. Uh, suppose Aaron sees a, a, ve- a vaguely unrecognizable body, but but the scarf is intact, and what that might do to him. Oh. I hadn't even thought of that. Uh, That's just something that came into my head. But I just thought what that might do to him and show on his face if he sees, say, a a charred body and the scarf like clutched in its hand or something. I mean, Louise is such a mega fan of them both that it that it's only logical she'd want to take the scarf because it was Aaron's who gave it to Mikasa who she also loves. I would say she idolizes Mikasa. Yeah, I think she her eyes are mostly on Mikasa. Oh definitely, yeah. but I don't think she would she would have become a Jaegerist if, if Aaron wasn't pretty up there too. That's a good point, yeah. Could also be that she was young and impressionable and was somehow persuaded by Flax words. Ugh Ellie, who do you think is going to survive or die in the next few chapters? <laughs> I think, <laughs> um, I think personally, I think there's going to be maybe some fan favorites who are going to die. Um, but also, I think every name is pretty much on the table for death. Besides next chapter, besides for next chapter, Mikasa, Armin, and Annie. So we need an Annie resolution. Please, Isayama, <laughs> we need an Annie resolution. Also, I think Armin and Mikasa, we need to see what their reaction to these walls crumbling is going to be. So I think those three will be safe for next chapter. And then we'll just see how next chapter pans out to see who else is going to survive beyond that. For me, I think Peak and Megath are probably at the most risk, like I said earlier. But I like that you mentioned Annie because, I mean... The walls are coming down, and her crystal might be somehow related to those walls or what's happening to them. So maybe her crystal's breaking too, and we just aren't seeing it yet. So it might be a, a good time in the story for Annie to make a reappearance as well. I would love that. I think there's a lot, a lot of people, people who would, would love I think. that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think um, when she first went into Crystal, we didn't quite realize how long she would be in that Crystal for. So I remember in Liberio, lots of people were saying, if she doesn't come out of the Crystal now, she's never coming out. We're never seeing her again. And <laughs> she didn't. So lots of people lost she hope. She didn't and, come out. Yeah. But now it's kind of starting to feel that way again. She didn't come out, but we did catch glimpses of her when Armin was chatting to her and stuff. Yep, and Isayama made sure we didn't forget about her. She got a nice chunk of Chapter 96 dedicated to her, and we've seen her a lot in flashbacks periodically mm. throughout the last 20, 30 chapters. Maybe he's just keeping her safe to use in a future spin-off. <laughs> just dangling, dangling the carrot in front of us. So we kind of expect... Annie to maybe be relevant in the next chapter slash volume, but are there any other things that you guys are expecting for next month? The Aaron flashbacks, I think, are going to be in the next volume. What's going on in his mind? What his intentions are? 
and maybe who who the father of Historia's baby is. Oh, that's not until a volume ender, I don't think. 126 is our <laughs> next, next hope for that. <laughs> that's my bet. Yes, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a volume ender. I'm hoping we get some insight on what's happening with Levi and Hanji. Hoping. But mostly, yeah. Hoping also we see what Mikasa and Armin decide to do now that it appears that um, Eren is rumbling. Well, if you if we remember a few chapters ago, Armin seemed to come to some sort of conclusion in his own mind about what's mm. going on, and I want to, I would like to know if he's figured it all out and just hasn't shared it yet. Yeah, if he's figured it out and he has some sort of plan in mind. Maybe that has something to do with his weird crying for Yelena a few chapters ago. Oh yeah, that was definitely faking it. <laughs> yeah, that was that was awkward. I, I still can't really piece together what his motivation was there, but it's Armin, so there must be a reason, right? I do love it when Armin gets like I this. Love- just you know something's happening mm. and you just don't know what it is and he's he's got he's figured something out and it's always you're always on the edge of your seat waiting to for him to explain it all. A bit like Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's definitely scheming something. So, and um, I'm hoping that gets revealed um, next month. So, I really liked the historical aspect of this chapter. That a lot of questions were answered. I'm I'm still left with a lot more questions. So, like we saw the you know the dawn of the Titans and how they came to be. We saw Emir Fritz and how she passed on her powers, and then, but we're still kind of missing information about how the mindless Titan started to be used. Like that wasn't mentioned at all in this chapter. And then more importantly, Ackermans, we know that they're related to Titans somehow, but we have no idea how. Yeah. All we know is that they were a result of Titan experiments. And that they were created to protect the King is what the wording was, I believe. Yeah. So who created them? Was it an accident? How were they created? Like, I want to know this stuff. I need Ackerman answers so bad. You mentioned the historical aspect of the chapter. That's something I didn't mention. But the I'm going I'm I'm going to talk about fashion now for a bit. Um, the Eldians. Oh yeah. The Eldians right. were dressed like uh, Germanic tribes, which makes sense considering the culture that's been shown on Paradis. Um. But interestingly, Mali were a carbon copy of the Roman legions. And that strongly implies to me that Mali were, in fact, the original aggressors. Um, the, the King Fritz says, destroy the accursed Marleans. Um, you would use that uh, description, accursed, if they were trying to take over your own lands, rather than weak Marleans or something like that, if you were trying to take over theirs. Obviously, the Eldians were horrible people, um, not nice at all. But it does seem like Mali might have been the aggressors in, as as originally stated, if the if the armor and look of them means anything, which I think goes hand in glove with the whole gray area thing, where neither side was uh, in the right. I think that's the case with any sort of historical conflict that has lasted 2000 years you know like that's a long time for a conflict to be like perpetuated and at at some point it kind of gets hard to tell who started it and who was right at any point oh absolutely 
and and some sometimes it doesn't even matter who started it, but just for the sake of curiosity, it would appear at least I'd put my money on that Marley did in fact start it. <laughs> and it seemed to me, at least in this chapter, that Marley may have been a little bit more technologically advanced than Eldia. Oh, one hundred percent. You you got the segmented armor armor and the battle tactics and such. Again, you. you it's going back to the whole Roman legion thing and why they were so successful in war. That's that's a podcast all on its own. But um, if they were if they were intended to be a carbon copy of of Rome, there's just no way that anyone could have stood up to them at the time based on their their advanced military tactics. They were just clearly so far in advance of uh, Eldia, which is probably why they found it so galling to have to kneel to them. I do wish we had a historical map, like what the territories looked like 2,000 years ago versus today. Because right now, Marley has this huge, sprawling empire, and I wonder if it was always like that. Or, I mean, we know that Eldia was a big part of that at one point, but I just wish I knew where the, the lines were drawn and how those lines changed over time. Maybe we will one day. I mean, it, it's not been unheard of that if one civilization absorbs another, it takes all their territories along with it, too. In my head, I just imagine like that Marley before before Amir got her Titan power. That Marley had this vast, you know, uh, territory that was theirs, and Eldia was described as a tribe at that point, and that makes me feel like it was a lot smaller. So the dawn of the Titans would have then allowed them to expand their territory and do all those things that King Fritz talked about, like building bridges, you know, cultivating the wasteland, all that. Oh yeah, it was, <laughs> it was. Uh... A gift from the gods, essentially, having a titan. It just put them right up there. Nobody else could compete. So now I think we can go into our quickfire round. So how this works with the quickfire round is that I'll ask a question, and it's going to be a this or that kind of question, and you guys just, off the top of your head, kind of choose one. Your preference. Right up. Yep. All right. So the first one is Aaron or Zeke. Ladies first. I'd say Aaron. Aaron. I'll agree, Aaron. <laughs> Grisha or Kruger? Oh, dear. I would have said Kruger before, but I think I'd have to go Grisha. Grisha. <laughs> I'm going to say Kruger. Got to be different. Slave Amir or Freckles Amir? Slave Amir. Slave Amir. Slave Amir. Uh, Magath or Willie Tiber? Mm, Magath. Do I want Ebola or the Black Death? Hmm. Oh, God. Oh, I hate both of them. You're making me say Magath. You hate both of them. I like them both. I'd say Willie. Sergeant Gross or the first King Fritz? Jesus Christ. <laughs> this, is, this is a really awful option. Is there a choice of neither? Or? I'll allow it. Just for this question, because these both suck. Yeah, neither. Well, I mean, at least <laughs> Gross is nice to his dogs, so... Oh, gosh! Oh, my, oh my goodness. goodness! I mean, someone loves Gross. He's got, like, a wife and kids. I think... I'm going to say Gross because um, it was really satisfying to see his long, painful death where he knew he was dying and suffering. So 
he gave me more pleasure to watch die. So in that case, gross. That's very valid. Whereas Fritz, he like died with his daughters at his deathbed, holding his hand. Much better than he deserved. Mm-hmm. All right. What about Mikasa versus Historia? I know what you're going to pick, Al. I, I have to pick Historia, then. <laughs> Should I even bother answering this? You know the answer. My answer's the same. Mikasa. All right, here's one that started a few wars. Armin or Erwin? Armin. Gotta be Armin. I like Erwin, but Armin. Yes! I like them both, but Armin as well. Levi or Hanji? I'll go with Levi for this. Always Hanji. Always. Hanji for me, too. Carla or Dina? Uh, Carla. 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 Annie or Peek? Oh, that's hard. I think I'll just go Peek, I think. That is a hard one. I would lean towards Peek as well. Me too, Peek. Kenny or Flock? Kenny. <laughs> Kenny, who, you know, has some amount of personality and gravitas and depth rather than just a stupid haircut and a sociopathic attitude. I'm going to go with Flock because I think his death will be satisfying when it comes. I'm optimistic. So you're, you're following my gross logic then? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I like Kenny, but I think Flock's death is going to be great. Uh, Gabby or Falco? I have to go Falco. Falco is the best. <laughs> Falco, without a doubt. I don't hold with the cruelty to Gabby, but I just wish she'd sort of go away. I personally like Gabby, but Falco... It's just, he's the perfect boy. <laughs> Falco, I think, if I had to choose one, but I don't mind either of them. Gabby kind of annoys me right now, but I, I'm confident she'll grow into a nice, balanced-out young woman. I think so, too. If she can stop killing everyone I love. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... She did drop the gun this chapter, so... Yeah. Knowing Gabby, she's got a couple of six-shooters tucked away in her belt or something. I don't know. Maybe some throwing knives <laughs> next to her ankles. Okay, Jean or Connie? I have to say Jean. Although I love Connie. I love both of them. There was a time I really hated Jean, but he's grown on me since season two of the anime, so I'd have to say him, even though I like them both now as well. I'm going to say Jean because he's my second favorite character. So, Okay, the last one. And I think I already know the answers, but I'm going to ask anyway. Full rumbling or partial rumbling? I want the full rumbling. <laughs> It would be a massive anxiety to read, but it would be great. Partial rumbling, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy-style dance-off, you know, just the going out with a whimper instead of a bang. Everyone's going to turn human. It's going to be lovely. That's where I'm at. Hey, Ellie, I've got an idea. Hmm? What's that? Well, people with a queen outnumber those that don't have a queen, so maybe we should just take over the podcast from this point and make it ours. As a constitutional monarchy. <laughs> exactly. Yes. This is now, you hear Commonwealth fans. Reiku, you're out. We run the show now. All right. We have decided. It's yours. That we are now in charge. <laughs> well, thanks for having me as a guest, I guess. Yes, it was our pleasure. Yes. yes. Uh, thank you for joining us. Do be sure to tell Mom and Luna that they can't have it back, I'm afraid. I'll be sure to do that. But in all seriousness, thank you both for joining me. It was a great pleasure talking to both of you. Thank you for having me.
Thank you so much. It was hilarious as always and great fun. And I was supposed to say that Mom, Taku, and Luna will be back next month to discuss Chapter 123, but I guess not now since Al and Ellie are taking the podcast. That was now, sorry. Yeah. Part of the constitutional monarchy now. I guess you guys can do the catchphrase with me if you want. Okay, sounds good. Okay, cool. Thank, Thank you, you for, for offering your, your hearts and ears, and, and we'll, we'll see, see you next, next month. month. Bye. Bye. Oh, gosh. Woo. Al, did you have any other thoughts that you wanted to add? Um, why do cats always want to come in and out constantly when you're busy? They want your attention. They want to uh, show their dominance over you. <laughs> they need to stand and do a T-pose. And now we're basically done. They've settled down. <laughs>